I'm Seth Day, I use he and they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Today, we are going to be uh, talking again about race because I thought it was a big enough topic that it deserved at least two episodes. <laughs> um, so uh, today, I have some lovely guests with me, and uh, I'm going to invite them to introduce themselves now. Yes. So my name is Jamila J. Brown, and my pronouns are her, she, um, and my connection with kids is I'm a preschool teacher and I absolutely love them and can't stand them at the same time. But I, I love <laughs> that. That's just kids for you. They, you know, so that's my connection with them. Right. I, I identify as a black woman, proud and black. I'm Jamila T or Jamila Tompkins Bigelow. That's a full name. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, and my connection with kids. Uh, so I is. I do a couple things. Um, one is that I am a children's book author. Um, and then the other thing is that I am a program manager for a writing uh, nonprofit, which provides um, writing programs, after school programs for children um, ages two to 17. Um, I identify as a black woman as well. My name is Julissa Jones, uh, pronouns are she, her, hers. I have babysat children for several, many years, um, and I also have a theater company that we do theater for young audiences, so we go into different schools, anywhere from like preschool to 12th grade, um, and we put on mainly Shakespeare shows, uh, but we also do in the summer devise theater. So we had a uh, story of the Koki, which is the Puerto Rican frog that we put on. I identify as mixed as I'm half black and half Puerto Rican. I, um, I've begun recently starting with is, and this doesn't have to necessarily have anything to do with race, it can, but um, I'm curious if any of you have had experiences where a child asked you a question that you just were like caught off guard or just like weren't prepared to answer that question. I mean, every day as uh, being in the classroom, especially with three and four year olds, their minds are constantly um, rolling and they're having like these eureka moments back and forth. And um, sometimes they'll look at my skin and be like, you're brown and I'm white. And they, they make those comparisons. And I find it that it's best to not overreact and to you know, yeah. be direct and, and say, yes, I am brown. Like, you know, just don't get get offended, but use it as a room for, for growing and, and what you can offer the child because they're just really exploring and, and trying to understand, you know, wow, we're different. And even eye shapes, our hair, um, but they're very blunt. They're not like us. They don't think about how can I say this, this in a way that's not going to hurt <laughs> someone's feelings. Um, so... I, I try not to take it personal and just kind of use it as a way for let me um, let me use this as a teaching moment because they're obviously trying to understand. Um, so, yeah, every day. 
lot when kids often will ask me gender related things because um, especially like adults are sitting there and they're like zooming in and they're like, okay, facial hair, probably man or like this, (laughs) you know, they're like (laughs) computing all of the different things. But, you know, kids will just be like, like I am kind of gender ambiguous, especially like I shaved recently. So um, kids will be like, are you a boy or a girl? And parents are mortified. And I'm like, that's a great question. You should ask people that question. And parents are like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I'm like your child just showed you, um, but it's true. Kids don't have that right there, that sort of level of like niceties or like making, you know, sugarcoating things. They're just going to be like, so that's what's happening, right? You're this color and I'm that color. And you're like, yeah, and that's a great opportunity to be like, everybody's different. And, you know, we can talk, you know, right? Like what, there's a really cute book um, called The Colors of Us by Karen Katz. And it's like, there's this, this little girl and her mom, she's like painting her friends and her mom is an artist and, you know, she's she wants to just paint everybody brown and she, or whatever color and she's like you know if you look around right everybody's different color and so she goes around the neighborhood and she's like oh that's my my friend is the color of honey and you know my other friend is the color of peanut butter or whatever um it's all food th- it feels like it's all food things i know <laughs> yeah i get a little hungry when i read that book <laughs> but i love that idea that it's like we can engage kids either even just by right if they're in the classroom by looking around or or if they're watching media being like hey did you notice that like dora is like a different color than than i am or whatever just i don't know i love kids are so ready and willing to engage in those conversations they they are it's really funny one of the kids that i babysat with she was like we're sisters and i was like we're i mean we're not sisters but yes i love you and then she's just like well why can't we be sisters um she's like I know you're like brown and I know that I'm white, but like, I love you and we're the same. And I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, it like warmed my heart of like, yes, we are all the same, like inside. Yes. On the outside. Yes, we may look different, but they like, they didn't understand. They're like, you're my sister. I don't really care what your skin color is. Like now we just need to talk about the concept of what a sister is. Right. But yeah, does anyone else have, and you don't need to, but um, have an example of a time that maybe a kid asked you a question or came up with something that just like caught you off guard or you weren't ready for? I mean, I, I agree. I agree with Jamila B that like every single day there's like different things that you're unprepared for. The most recent actually had to do with uh, my religious identity. So, you know, I'm Muslim. Um, and I'm used to students asking me questions about me being Muslim. Um, but the one question that was asked, so this eight-year-old girl was asking me different questions. She asked me about our holidays or something like that. And I was like, it was a mon- it was Monday and, um, I had just had celebrated a holiday on Sunday and she's like, oh, you have a holiday today. And I was trying to say to her, and then I said, well, actually, yeah, because my holiday is three days. Um, but I only, but I, you know, I celebrated it on Sunday and she's like, well, why aren't you like, why are you here today at work? You know? Right. And it's like, you know, I, I really didn't, um, it's kind of hard to explain like, well, as a religious minority, you don't always get, you know, your days like yeah. that. And so I was just happy that I had the Sunday that I didn't have to take an extra day off. Um, and then she asked me a question, which, um, I really wasn't prepared for, which is, well, can you change your religion? And um, it wasn't that, so I answered the question as, yeah, yeah, people all, you know, people can change their religion. Um, they do that all the time. Um, you know, but I want to, um, you know, I, I don't want to change mine. But the problem for me 
that I, the thing that I wasn't prepared for was like kind of the assumption that because I have this different identity, I should want to change it. Like um, it, when it came to my religious identity and like how to like answer that or talk, you know, I almost feel like I wanted to, uh, I want to go back and kind of, you know, because it as a, and she's eight. So, you know, at the same time, like I, you know, I have the power in that situation, but the same, but the, the, it still made me feel in a way like, you know, one of those situations um, where, you know, it, it could have been an adult doing it. You know what I mean? I, I, I recognize it's a child, but it still made me feel small in the same way that if an adult had done it, you know. And so um, I, I was unprepared to think about, well, how do you address that with children? Like the kinds of questions or the kinds of ways that you can diminish someone um, without realizing that you're doing it. You know, and she's a really sweet girl. She's, you know, she's always giving me hugs and all of that. Um, so, you know, I know it wasn't like she wasn't doing it out of malice, but it was just the thing, you know, of, well, how do you talk to kids about the questions that maybe make people feel uncomfortable in their own identity? Because sometimes like the the motivation of that might have been, well, I want you to have your holidays off. So maybe you should switch. Relig- you know what I mean? Right, it, right. it might have not even, you know, but it's, it's so funny how sometimes like trying to figure out what question children are actually asking is like half the battle. Right. I'm like, yeah. are you really asking a deep question about religion? Or are you just like, you should have holidays <laughs> off. So maybe switch. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's why, like, for me, one thing that I do just like, um, that I've adopted from, I, I know a lot of folks in my life, um, my wife being one who have anxiety or have different uh, disabilities and processing issues where they rehearse things before, uh, you know, maybe, right, if you have some kind of conflict, it's like, okay, I'm going to think about all the things this person might say and what can I say in response. And I've sort of adopted that in situations in my own life. And I think that that's part of the reason I started this podcast is because if you don't practice conversations about you know kind of tricky things when you're that's why there's I feel like there's sort of that stereotype of like where do babies come from and parents being like uh uh right you know because like if you're not practicing that conversation or a number of conversations about sensitive topics it's like how can you it's unfair to expect yourself to be prepared um but we don't always think about you know, obviously, right, we, you know, every single question that a kid can ask. And I I remember one time I was teaching a second grade class, I was student teaching, and thank goodness, my cooperating teacher was in the classroom, because I was teaching about Monet, I remember this, and it was second grade. And, you know, I always, with that age, I would always try to remind them, hey, if you like have something to say, that's maybe relevant to art, let me know and raise your hand. If you have other things to say, like you want to tell me about your weekend, when I come around, you can tell me those things. And that day I forgot to say that. And a kid, I was just about to start my lesson and the kid raised their hand and was like, my brother died this weekend. Uh, and I was uh, like, and but like said it like that was like, my brother died. And I was just like, I don't know you well enough to know if you're kidding. I don't know if you're serious. And I was just like, and luckily the teacher like knew that that actually was true and like took over. But I always joked that my, my inappropriate transition would have been, you know who else died? Monet, let's talk about him. Um, <laughs> um, but that was like one of those moments where I was just like, they didn't prepare me for this in teacher school. Um, but anyway, thing to add before we move on. 
Not really. Most of them just like talk about my butt and my boobs because they're large aspects on my body that a lot of them were just like, why is your butt so big? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It just is like we, but then it gets into a conversation of we all have different body types and we all come in different shapes and sizes. And so I'm trying to explain that to them. And a lot of them, of course, are, I babysit for predominantly just white folks. So I'm like, yes, your skinny white mother does not have my same body type as an ethnic woman. We all have different, like, body shapes, and that's okay. And then they're like, oh. But then they're just fascinated that they like to play with them. And I'm like, well, this is inappropriate. And then we're going to get into a conversation about consent. And then that's all. It it always spirals into a big thing. But it's it's usually those for me. How those little things can like like Jamila was saying, like can turn into those big conversations, you know, like you can talk about larger concepts when they're, even if they're just saying like, you're this color and I'm that color, or like you've got big boobs or like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, I, I just love that they have no shame. They will just, yeah. well, that's like a lot of kids are like, well, you're a kid too, right? Because you're short. I'm very small. I'm under five feet tall. And people, or they'll say like, they have this concept that height equals age. So because mm-hmm. right, adults are usually taller than kids so they'll say things like well when I'm older than you I'll push you in the stroller and I'm like that's not how (laughs) when you're taller than me it doesn't mean you're older than me (laughs) oh my gosh it's so funny um anyway so I'm I'm curious I asked this in actually in the last episode that I did with uh with some other folks but I'm curious what your earliest memory of like being aware of your own race or just the fact that there were different races if you have an early memory of that. Yeah, I do. I'm a little nervous to share because the last time I shared this uh, was at a, it was a different um, situation and I got emotional and I hadn't realized that um, it was emotional for me because uh, it had happened so long ago and I hadn't really talked about it before. Um, so I was six years old, first grade, um, and uh the first three months of uh, first grade, we went to a new school, um, and the school was basically all white. Like, there were just a handful of black kids. Um, and I remember that no one was, like, playing with me or, like, interacting with me. And, you know, I didn't really get why. Um, I just kind of, um, you know, was, like, during recess, I would be, like, in the teacher's classroom coloring. And I was always bored and just, like, you know, I don't know what's happening. Why is no one playing with me? Um, and then one day, um, a, my teacher sent me to another classroom. Um, and I had like, you know, like just with a message or something. And I remember I saw a little black girl sitting in the classroom. And um, she was very noticeable. She was, you know, much darker than everybody else. Her hair was similar to mine. And I remember, you know, just styled the same way with ballies and barrettes that we used to have. And um, I remember thinking, she looks so lonely. She looks so sad and lonely. And I remember thinking to myself, um, she's lonely for the same reason I'm lonely. And that's when I, that clicked for me. Like, you know, she, that, you know, that's why no one's talking to her or talking to me because we're the same in this way. So, see, I'm getting emotional again. <laughs> but yeah, for, it just brings me back to that time, that moment. Sharing that, really appreciate your mm-hmm. vulnerability because it's hard, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it in no way um, had nothing to do with race, but I have a memory of like, 
similarly like no one wanting to be my friend when I was a kid and all the little kids were playing Miss Mary Mac and I played with the wall (laughs) and like it does it like brings you back like I can still feel like when I tell that story like I can still feel that moment like childhood is like those kind of moments stick with you and like that right like no one else probably even remembered that time that you sent a message to that other like it was Mm -hmm. right it was it was such this just like passing thing and And that's why I think it's so important when we're working with kids, too, to realize that, like, you don't know what that moment is going to be for a kid and, like, to recognize and be there and, like, use our experiences to recognize those experiences and, you know. Yeah, man, childhood is, like... It makes it a little tricky because it's, like, because we are experiencing such big feelings that we can't really understand or communicate yeah. in that moment so they kind of st- sort of like like just start traveling along the years and mm. then they, they start to like live within us and then next you know it shows up in our lives the way we speak up for ourselves so I think that it's like and for me like I had to like face or like look back at my childhood to understand myself as an adult like you know why am I afraid to do this or why am I afraid to do that and I think that when you go back to them like being six-year-old you know Mm. feeling a certain way and saying I'm you know as an adult I will never allow myself to feel that way or I will stand up or I choose this work and I think it's so important for anyone to just kind of go back to their childhood because if you're having like some kind of moment in adulthood like face the child (laughs) (laughs) and understand Mm. the grown-up and it's yeah I think that's beautiful I really I can relate to your story just being Mm the only black kid in my class as well. Um, and I remember like, this wasn't aside from school, I had just gotten my locks and um, it was like this uh, white woman, her daughter, and the daughter was like, you know, what, what's, why is her hair like that? And um, her mom was like, those are braids. And I just felt like, no, they're not braids, they're locks. <laughs> And But I didn't say that, but the yeah. whole day I was thinking about it. And then I became very insecure about my hair. And then I became very insecure about myself. And like, you know, and that kind of trickled down. In high school, it's funny, like I'm just thinking about it now. I understand where it showed up later on. Um, but just not being able to stand up for what I am and what my look, you know, just say what it is. Um, that kind of stood it. That's like an early moment and then um I find that when I was in a predominantly white school I didn't I don't know what it was I, I guess because it was cool to be a black girl everybody wants to be my friend mm. um it, so it was that but then when I got to high school where it was predominantly black I got hit with the you act white mm. with the mm. you and I and I was like I don't think I act white like I I have black I had black dolls like I love, like you know, black art. My fit, like so. I was just very confused as to why I was accepted there and not here. And like, and then yeah. So just that I had like a little like identity, and I knew I wasn't. I'm like, I'm definitely a black black girl. So I don't understand this. But why is my why are my black friends, you know, saying that I act white? And that was just very. I just did not understand that for a long time. So I kind of went through those different stages in my childhood with, you know, who am I, you know, 
who am I and what do I act like? And that idea is so interesting because it's like, well, if I'm a black person and I'm acting away, then it's a black way. Like, <laughs> I can't act what, like, that's not, but I, I just, it makes me think about, um, and again, like, of course, like, I, you know, as people, we're always relating things to our own experience, but like, when kids will say, oh, those are girl clothes or those are boy clothes. I'm like, well, if I'm a boy and I'm wearing them, then they're boy clothes. Like, everything's made up, y'all. I don't... <laughs> Is the color blue really blue? Like... <laughs> oh, no. That's a, that's a different podcast. That's some, like... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, but I feel very similar to you, or I understand that. Well, ever since I was little, I'd known I was different because, obviously, it's in my household, as soon as I could recognize myself in the mirror, I could recognize I don't exactly look like my mom. My mom is much fairer skin than myself. My mom is Puerto Rican. Um, but when I really started to recognize myself, I was strongly taught, not taught, but like strongly understood I am two different ethnicities and that is beautiful and that is okay. So I, I always carried that with me and I know, okay, great, I'm black and I'm Puerto Rican and I'm awesome and this is great and screw everyone that doesn't think that, which is essentially what I was taught from my parents, which I appreciate because obviously I still carry that, that with me now. Um, but where it became difficult was more so with my black side of the family kind of rejecting me for the similar reasons I went to... Catholic school my entire life until I went to college. And so I was around predominantly white people, but also there, uh, my high school was very mixed. My elementary school was also fairly mixed, but because I was, I don't know, taught however to speak or behave or whatever it may be. A lot of my black side of my family would just call my sister and I like, why are you acting so white? Why do you speak that way? And then I'm like, okay, but your child, by the way, my, my cousins went to the same elementary school as me and they went to the same high school, but you're picking on me and I'm not exactly sure why, but it was always, it was always a weird thing that was carried in my family. And I also felt segregated a lot growing up because of the fact that it came from my black grandmother it was just like, oh, I see they have a special relationship with like my Puerto Rican grandmother. I see that she'll speak Spanish to them and they have this, they have this like thing going on that I'm not a part of. And so there was, there was a bit of like intimacy resentment from one grandmother to another and that carried over and I guess bled into my family. And we were often, my sister and I were often like segregated from the rest of my family. We wouldn't get like they wouldn't always remember our birthdays and they wouldn't always give us like some Christmas presents. And, and it's not about like, it's not about the big, like, I don't really care about presents, but I just vividly remember them doting on the pure blacks of the family, as opposed to my sister and I that were mixed. And it's, and I thought I was crazy for years, but my sister also felt the same way. And then also uh, my cousins, some of my cousins are half black and half Jewish. So white. And they also felt the same way. And it was just a really interesting thing to be like, I'm mixed, but I'm proud of both of, both sides of myself. I'm aware of my history on both sides. And just because I love them equally doesn't mean I don't care about one less or more or whatever it may be from your perspective. And it's sad that you're, you're looking at someone who is a part of your family and you choose to other them. 
it's a hard thing as a child to to notice and see and be like, I don't know why I love you and I know you're saying you love me, but you're behaving in a way that's hurtful to me. And I've carried that for the rest of my life too. Yeah, I mean, at least your parents instilled you with that like strength so you could be like, you're treating me this way and I'm recognizing it and it's not okay and I'm still proud of, you know what I mean? Because I feel like, that could have very easily, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. Yeah. That's, ugh, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Well, that's, we were talking, I, we did an episode on family. Uh, we did a couple or two actually. And it was interesting to me, like the things that we excuse family for because they're our family. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if someone else was treating me this way, I would be like, Bye. but because they're really like I have an aunt who like wasn't okay with being trans who I didn't speak to for many years and then recently I reconnected with her but you know all my whole family they're Italian and it's very like families you know like the thing and I was like if someone else was doing what she's doing to me would you want me to be friends with them and the answer was like no but so but it's interesting how that dynamic of family is like one hand it's like you know it's 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 nice that like no right like we can go through all different things and still like be together but also it's like sometimes it allows us to keep people who are doing toxic things to us and are like allow it and excuse these things which is like it should be the opposite where like your family is the one who right. should be like the nicest to you i would think um yep. but thank you thank you uh all for sharing um, mm-hmm. um so my next question is i'm curious if you have an early an early memory of like feeling represented in either in toys or media you know recognizing like oh that character looks like me or um or or a lack of representation I guess and sort of the second half of that question being like how do you think have you noticed a difference from when you were a kid to now with what representation in kids media and toys looks like yeah um I still don't feel represented <laughs> Um, a lot of, a lot of people that you see in different media on TV shows and movies and whatever. And when you see someone that is mixed, you see someone typically that is still fair skin and may have like really thick and nice curly hair. But like, I'm like, oh, my skin tones don't match up with you though. Like I can be mixed, but be when people look at me, they're like, oh, this is just a black woman. And that's fine that people see, cause I am, I am that you're not wrong, but like, I don't see myself and that's really annoying and the closest I've ever gotten to. So you know how there was like American girl dolls. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. I have this, like there was like the bootleg version. It's like magic girls or so magic girl dolls or something like that. So I have that one because they had a doll that was the closest that I could see, but she was like um, one of the indigenous people. I forgot what particular tribe in America But, like, I was like, oh, her skin tone is the closest to mine, and her hair type is the closest to mine, and it's not exactly right, and this isn't my race, but, like, you know what? You look closest to me, so I'd rather have this doll that looks, like, the closest to me. Um, And I just remember going, like, okay, I guess this is all I'll get. And now here I am, nearly 30 years old, and I still don't feel like we've completely gotten there we can all I don't know we're we can all be different races and and shades and hair types and 
I don't know. I just feel like we still have a fairly long way when it comes to representation to go. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know what? I feel for you when, when I, when you say that too, because um my nephews are biracial, they're black and white, black and Italian. And um, they, I can, t- like, they, they don't, they, they just think they're, they're white. They don't know what they really are. So we have, we've, we've had the conversation with them because it was, they were looking at themselves, looking at their mom, looking at their dad and just downright confused. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I think about our Obama. I mean, he's our president. I don't care what anybody says. He's still going to be our president. <laughs> Sorry. And I think about how we just, you know, call him a black man. We just say he's a black man. I mean, he's never disabused it, but, you know, like, but he is white also, his mom, and he loves his mom. And we we don't, I know, like, in the black community, we're like, oh, you black. Like, and that's it, that that becomes a thing. But just hearing you say it, I feel for that. And I think about my nephews because I used to be like that where I just be like, oh, they're black. But I want, I'm making the, 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 cho- the decision, the choice to be mindful of that and how, how boxed in that feels and how, you know, how you don't feel whole when you're just, just talking about one side when you're many things. Um, so I, I, I receive that and I, I think that's great. Yeah, there's a thing where, you you as an interracial person want to take ownership but also want to be like this is great and yes I love this side of me but also there's this side of me and then everyone's like what but you don't look it and it's like you have this and it it comes to being in the representation of media you don't know what we all look like because you're only seeing one small box right if you open up your eyes you don't know like just ask people it's okay for me it's okay to ask to be like are you, and I'll, I'll finish the sentence for you. Yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm Puerto Rican. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I have, I'm overweight. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> yes, all these things I, I'm happy to share with you so that you can understand all of us are different. Someone looks someone straight in the face and is like, like Jolisa, for example, and be like, well, you don't look like someone who's mixed and you're like okay but I do because I'm someone who's like or or people will be like that doesn't look like a trans person I'm like yeah it does because it's they're a trans person that's what trans people look like (laughs) and I'm telling you that you know and I'm also a filmmaker too I didn't didn't say that and I, I got into film because I wanted to change the narrative and um I just was like with the now I see that it's changing. I'm I'm really proud and like the shift and where we're going, and how people like you know that this inclusivity you know everything is inclusive, or at least working towards it. Um, but I just was tired of not seeing myself, and seeing and then just seeing others. It just like recently I did this um series about an autistic family and and the producer was like not all autistic people are just like can't do anything for themselves and you know so and I mean I'm not autistic but it spoke to me because it's like you know for us by us kind of story and, and that mm-hmm. that type of stuff is really important I think that the representation starts with us you know making the change like you know you being an author Jamila just change like what what children need to see or what people need to see more of and um yeah that stuff just yeah, I think that we're we're in we're, we're getting in that direction where you know, um, but I think that we need more. Yeah, I think I think too. Um, so, 
a couple things. I think, um, yeah, for sure, like that did, you know, the lack of representation did affect me going into writing. That is why I, I started writing children's books because I just didn't see books about children um, who were like myself when I was growing up or, um, you know, my kids, like they don't have like representation, you know, um, there aren't, you know, there isn't nuance. And so I think that that's part of what um, Jaleesa is getting into is like that a lot of times people of color, because there's so little representation, we don't get the nuance. Um, and I do think um, there's also a conversation to be had with black American people about that we need to have uh, when we think about um, people who are mixed, because I know for my family, it's a difficult conversation on my father's side of the family, um, because my, that side of the family is incredibly mixed. Um, and not the kind of mix where we had claimed to, um, you know, this white parent that was in the picture, you know, who was not in the picture. It was more um, mixed through rape, right? And centuries of that. And then just the, and, and then um, just marrying people who are mixed race. And I mean, you know, my grandmother on my father's side, she used to say, we don't know if we're more white than black or black than white because their parents' appearance was very mixed. Um, but we know what side claimed us, right? So that's who we are. So it's it. I I feel like it becomes challenging to then for a lot of people from that generation to kind of say, well, this person who is mixed, but appears just as black as we appear, right, um, is mixed, right? And so I think that that's a conversation that just hasn't really happened in our community. Um, that probably needs to, because now we have this, you know, these generations of people now who have a parent in their life from a different background, um, from a different race, from a different ethnicity. And um, so that being mixed means something different. Um, so, you know, but again, you know, because we don't have a lot of representation in any, whether it's for adults or for young people, we don't really there's not a lot of space for the nuance. There's not a lot of space to have those conversations um, and to see that represented and for your children to even understand it. Um, even for myself, you know, people have an assumption about what it means that I'm a black woman. Well, yes, my father is a descendant of um, enslaved people. Um, my mother is from West Africa. And people would not make this assumption. She's an immigrant. Um, and also she was undocumented for many years. So people would not make it, you know, would not, you know, would just assume, well, my identity means one thing. Being a Muslim, people also have a very um, specific, yes, narrow view of what that means. Um, Muslim must mean Arab or South Asian. Um, and, you know, so not black, you know. And so when, the, a lot of times when Muslims are represented in media, or in children's stories or whatever, there's always this like push to like represent them as, you know, brown people, right? Not people who are black, although there are lots of Muslims in Africa. There are lots of black American Muslims. Um, we make up a huge um, percentage of the Muslims in, this, in the United States. But and so when I was going to write, I really wanted to represent my people because I just didn't see us at all. It was like we didn't even exist. I love that. And I feel like that's what a lot of people in a lot of different communities are doing. We're just like tired of not seeing ourselves. So we're like, I'm just gonna make it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because like, yeah. it's just, and also like, 
I don't know that I, you know, I like speaking for myself, like I don't really want other people writing my story anyway. So I'm happy to just, but like, yeah, it's like if they're not going to do it. And I feel, I feel like also it's a lot of like, oh, you should be happy with what there is. Like, oh, that, oh, that book has someone wearing a hijab in the background. You should be happy Mm -hmm. about that. Right. No. And that's like, mm -mm. (laughs) mm-mm. No, nine times out of ten, you're not getting it right, or you're portraying them or, or, or these people in such a negative light. Like, no, like you're just making it comfortable for the the yeah. general public to understand when that's not it. Say, well, we put one in there. Right. We're good. We can pat ourselves on. And sing. Right. You don't get brownie points for just putting someone in a shot. Like that's not a thing. That's just, you get nothing. Children's book. I believe it's Good Night New York. In fact, it's from that series of like Good Morning, Good Night books for every mm-hmm. city. In one of the pictures, I am not an expert on Judaism. I am not Jewish. I know that typically masculine people wear kippas or yarmulkes. Mm-hmm. Like that is okay. They had a girl wearing a yarmulke in that book. It was like a Hasidic Jewish family, and I was just, or like an Orthodox family, and I was like, I don't think that you're so woke that you put like a boy in a dress with a yarmulke. Like, I think that you just did zero research and you were just like, we want representation. And I like went to my friend who's Jewish and I was like, am I making this up or is this girl wearing a yarmulke? Because they just have no clue what they're doing. And it's like they literally just needed to have that representation so bad that they did zero. Like, and that's like basic. That's not like deep levels of research. If you're no, and like, Google 101. <laughs> it's like, you know, and. It's just, yeah, it's just wild um, sometimes when they just want to throw representation in there and then say, well, you're represented. You're in the background in that corner. It's it's pretty obvious. We we see it. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm in the corner. (laughs) So too, like going back to like just society in America, like how... Sometimes I think about my nephews and them being biracial, but us having to still have that talk with them about police brutality and how, and you know what I mean? Like, even though they are both, it's just, it sucks that the world sees them as one and that they will have to have that talk with them very soon. And so that, that makes me feel, um, sometimes I feel uncomfortable about it too, because it's just like, those big whys, but why, TT, but why? I, and so I, I do feel like I have to prepare myself for that. But, you know, that's why I feel for, like, I'm this, but I have to, to deal with this. The one-drop rule, don't they? It's like, yeah, it was yeah. a one-drop rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It segues to uh, a question that I wanted to ask about that. Like, I'm curious if any of your parents had that talk with you or if you've had to have that talk with any kids in your care or, you know, how you would go about that if you did have to have the talk about police brutality? My parents never spoke to me about it. Um, I don't know. I guess it was, it was the nineties. We were just like, you know, getting by and living, like, you know, just going through the motion of life. So Mm -hmm. I never, I never received that conversation. Um, But my father was a victim of police brutality and he was on the job. He was working for Verizon, and um, these two police officers, both white, pulled him over. Um, 
so, uh, apparently he didn't do something right. I was very young at the time, so I don't remember the exact um, story, but I know that he was badly beaten up um, because of it. So there was like a lo- a big lawsuit. But I don't remember my parents ever using that as an opportunity to say, this is why this happened. Um, so mm. now in my adult life, I feel like the the I'm having conversations about it now and understanding it. Remember, so Jamila B and I used to um, work together at a children's museum, and one of the uh, you were in public programs, right? You never did. Yes. Okay, I did, I started out with school programs, so I would, as opposed to like public pro- programs, where the people who anyone who came to the museum you'd interact with them, uh, and uh, school programs at the time that I worked there, we would lead guided tours for schools, and one of the tours when I was working there was about community helpers. And they expected me to, in front of a class of, you know, like a bunch of black kids from Harlem tell, be like, the police are your friends. And like me and my other coworkers were just like, we're just not going to say that. Like, like, there's Mm -hmm. no way that we're comfortable sitting in front of a class of black and brown kids being like, police are your friends, go to them. I'm like, that's not a conversation. That's not like my place. And uh, yeah, it's just like, mm mm-mm. No, I similarly did not get a conversation when I was growing up. I got more, because I grew up on Long Island, there was a separation between the police on Long Island and then city police, NYPD. So um, on Long Island, I I was taught via like what my dad would do when we would get pulled over. And he would sweet talk the cops and he would be so charming and so nice. And I didn't realize that was like a defense mechanism so that nothing bad would like escalate or happen. Um, But he would often do that. And I was like, oh, if I just like sweet talk cops and I'm just like super charming, they won't do anything to me. But then when we would get into the city and it was more so when I was in like my teenage years and I would observe and I would see my dad talk because he, um, he, his company, he works for a real estate management company. They also had some residential buildings up in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. So I would often go to the Bronx with him to get Dominican food because it's delicious. Um, (laughs) and when we were up there, he would, it would, everything would change and he wouldn't specifically be like, NYPD cops are X, Y, and Z this way, but he would just be like, no, you really got to watch yourself up here and you, you got to watch how you, uh, handle and speak to the cops here. Like none of that, none of that stuff that I do on Long Island is really going to work with them. They're different and they will treat you different. And I was aware of that. And I, it was, that was like the most talk I ever got, but I, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and be sweet and charming and see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then I guess I'm just going to be terrified because I don't know what to do after that, really. Out of being compliant, which we clearly see also doesn't matter. Like, I don't know how to how to handle myself specifically. I, so I felt a little unprepared, but not like totally. But it was something that I was I was aware that like I have to handle this very delicately I was I was thinking about like like now that we're talking about it like you know the whole idea of privilege right is that like 
you don't even think about things. And then in retrospect, sometimes I'll be like, oh, hey, that was a total moment of privilege. Like I had an interact. Montreal, where I live, is adorable. I'm coming from New York City where like the cops, unless you were doing, I mean, unless for the most part in my experience, unless you're doing something like wacky, like they don't care. Like I saw cops jaywalking all the time in New York City. Like they don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless you're doing something serious, like for for the most part that was my experience that they just didn't care what you were doing and I was crossing the street in Montreal where I I had the sign but it stopped it hit zero like two seconds before I was on the sidewalk and a cop was yelling at me about it and I was like rolling my eyes at him and I was like whatever man I was like tired I had no my and I was like that's some white privilege right there that I was just like whatever uh <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I wasn't even, like, being nicey or cutesy about it. I was, like, being such a dick. And I was like, yeah, that, Seth, that's privilege that you could just do that yeah. and not mm-hmm. think about it and not worry. That, and, like, he didn't – I didn't get a ticket. Nothing happened. Mm. It was funny you say that because growing up now that I'm older, I can see, like, I remember my mom just changing her voice. Just, like – I'm like, why are you changing your voice? Speak regular. Like, why? Why? <laughs> Um, or my dad just like, you know, just, I remember him being like this stand up guy and then kind of being small. And I, those are the things I noticed that even though the conversation wasn't had, now I can look back at it and see that we were, that's what we were doing to be, um, to be safe, I guess. Yeah. I, I think I learned a lot of that stuff. There wasn't really a conversation. My family wasn't really, uh let's have a heart-to-heart conversation about something important that you need to know, family. <laughs> We're just like, you know, let's just not, you know, talk about those things. But um, we, my family really did, especially my father, he really loved, um, like, the old documentaries and history and news all the time. So um, I got a lot of my information from him watching it and, like, sort of those the commentary um, that he would make all the time, you know, so we were, you know, Eyes on the Prize was on all the time, those old documentaries about uh, the civil rights movement, uh, we watched the, um, the movie um, X, uh, we, uh, you know, um, when, um, I can't remember his name, I can't believe it, King. Um, the man that was um, brutalized in the 90s, that was beaten by all, Rodney King. Um, so when that was happening, that was like, you know, the, there was all this commentary from my family. Um, and so, like, I, I got to see it and learn about it that way, like, you know, to understand that, like, um, that the state wasn't necessarily kind um, to black people, um, that it wasn't, you know, uh, it, it didn't have compassion for us, if that makes sense. And I really, I remember um, I had to be a young adult when Amadou Diallo was shot up. But I remember for me, that was especially striking because I had always kind of watched these films and, um, you know, or saw these things in the news about, you know, black American people, right? But this was someone in living in the Bronx, a neighborhood where a lot of my African immigrant family lives. Um, and, you know, he was just kind of shot up. So it kind of, it, it just, it was like, we're just all, we're all black. And this is the experience, you know, that um, you're going to have that, black, you know, that black people just can't expect any kind of like, uh, patience, any kind of uh, 
assumption of innocence is always going to, you know, be immediately that you are guilty. So you have to be very careful um, around the police if you have this this color of skin, if you appear this way. Um, so yeah, that that really is how I, I learned. It wasn't even it wasn't explicit. Whereas with my own kids, I've been a bit more explicit um, about it. I just think that they should, you know, I don't want to repeat the same patterns. I really want to talk about or talk out like the kinds of things that they might experience and um, help to prepare them. I think we can do that. You know, we have more knowledge. We have more information now. Um, we shouldn't just leave our children like in the dark when it comes to situations like, you know, what they might experience at, because they are black. Do you, um, I'm just curious, do you mind like sharing what, like what you included, like when you have those conversations, sort of like, what, what do you say? Or how do you, how do we talk to kids about something like police brutality, which is like, like, I don't know, for me, the idea that of my parents sitting me down and being like, Hey, by the way, the world is a terrible and unfair place. And these horrible things might happen to you just because of the way that you look like I can't even like, how do we break that down for kids in a way that's not so terrifying? That's hard. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, and, and for me, because I'm so bookish, the, like the best way has really been through literature. So I'll pick out like good books um, Kwame Alexander just put out a book recently, The Undefeated. Um, and it's really, really, um, you know, just a powerful book that just goes through the history, but also even the present day of Black Americans. It's a love, it's a love letter to Black America, essentially. And, um, but it has certain situations in it that like it, it, there's a picture of a slave ship at what the the whole of a slave ship at one point. Um, there's there are pictures of the four girls who were uh, bombed in the 16th Street um, church bombing. Um, it, it's just that I think I can. It's actually right over here because I'm next to my bookshelf. But like it, this book, it, it's just like this a really amazing book that just like kind of goes through that opens up conversation um, about, you know, that history. Um, there's a, you know, a, a scene at one point where we see like flowers left for um, Mike Brown. Like it's just, it, there's a lot of, it, it's a it's a powerful way to open up the conversation and it, it, it makes it digestible for children. So I think that's part of it is like, you know, t through story, you really can, um, you know, let children know about things and, and just answering their questions as honestly as possible. Um, I think yeah. it goes back to what we were saying earlier about we want it, you know, sometimes we want to tell kids things in like special ways and diff very different ways. Um, but a lot of times it is about, you know, I have to just be honest and tell you what the situation is and words that you can understand. But I'm, but I'm still going to tell you the truth of this and what this means. I had a conversation um, with my oldest son um, last year because he had, he had a really good close friend who, a white boy, and the white boy was telling him to call him boss, boss Jay. And, um, I had to really, you know, talk to him about why that was problematic. Why, you know, as a, as a little black boy, it just would not be okay for him to be referring because of our, the, our history of, you know, 
um, always, you know, of white, the history of white supremacy and, and black people always kind of being subservient, that it just isn't okay for you to call your white friend boss Jay and to like sort of replicate those patterns. Even if that was not what was meant, it ends up becoming that. The impact of it is that, you know. Um, so it, it's an everyday things that happen that we have these conversations and we're very straightforward. And it's also in, you know, just teaching them the history. They have to know what the history is. If you don't teach your kids history, they won't understand race. There is no way to talk about race unless kids actually understand what the history of it is. So. I agree. I think exposure, exposure, exposure and, and, and books, Mm -hmm. um, take them to, uh, 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 a peaceful protest. Let them see what's going. Let them see it, and don't don't think that they're too young. Um, read them a book on on kindness. I think that they can make the connections through literature. Um, there we um, there was this book. This one little girl came in and she read the, the Drinking Gourd, and um, she read it to the class. And of course, that they were able to because it was you know kind of child. It was child led. So the children were like all eyes and ears and they were listening and um, her mom was just like, how does she do? Did she read it? I don't think she understands. I think she's just like, you know, mimicking the way I read it to her and just, you know, and I said, I was like, you know, I think that even if she doesn't understand the big concept of slavery and the book itself, she can make the connection when she, even if she's in the lunchroom and someone takes a juice box away from a child of a different color, she can make that connection in a way that is relatable to her. She'll be able to identify with the wrong, maybe not the big concept, but the wrong and what doesn't feel right. You know, if you're not exposed or you're not, um, or the children aren't reading these books, they have, they, they won't really... I mean, I don't think they'll understand or be able to identify with what feels wrong and, you know, what you don't know, you'll be afraid of. Um, So I think that the more we expose them, you know, the less hate. But I have not read, but um, it came up when I was doing some research called Mama. I think it's Mama, Did You Hear the News? Or Mama, Have You Heard the News? Um, That's about, it's essentially um, like for younger kids to help negotiate and guide that conversation. Um, about, you know, a little boy seeing uh, hate crime on the news and then asking his mom about it. Um, but I have not, it sounds like a great, great in theory. I have not read it. Um, but I hope it's as, you know, as useful a tool as it's meant to be. All right. And now it's time for a quick break for some announcements. So first of all, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So I personally need to apologize. I know that the episodes um, have not been out on time the past two weeks. To be totally transparent, I've been having some health issues that have been making it difficult to get the episodes out on time. But as I mentioned, I'm going to be starting a new job next week that's going to allow me to have more free time to work on the podcast. So I am hoping I will be able to get my act together. Uh, Thank you for being patient with me. I also wanted to make an announcement about our awesome partner, Shift Book Box, who provides these really awesome curated boxes with children's books every month that can can be delivered right to you uh, with all sorts of awesome topics that basically uh, mirror a lot of the topics that we do here. So the creators of Shift Book Box Crystal and Rebecca are going to be joining me starting in September. Now, originally I was thinking that I was going to make this um, 
a segment on the show. However, as of late, the shows have been kind of long, which is great because that means that we're having such good conversations. Um, however, I don't want to give you a three hour long episode. <laughs> so uh, what I'm going to be doing instead is the episodes are going to stay as they've been with um, just the conversations. So in between two full-sized episodes, um, we're going to release a mini episode that's going to be Crystal, Rebecca, and I talking about books that relate to the topics of the episodes. Um, so we're going to give you some awesome recommendations for children's books and just have some really great rich conversations about those books and some things that they're doing well and maybe things they can work on and things that we'd love to see in books about these topics. So that is very exciting. That means that you'll be getting an episode every week. Um, so woohoo for that. Yeah, I don't have too much else to say today besides just feel free to follow us on social media. We're at Radchild Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, please, if you're able to rate, review, and share the show, it really helps us. Um, I know it sounds silly, but those numbers and statistics are really helpful to us for getting things like sponsors. Uh, you can also donate at our Patreon. You can get some really awesome rewards. I'm going to be updating those soon as well. So if you go to patreon.com, uh, you can sign up for as little as $1 a month donations, and that really helps us out. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Next month's theme is disability. So we're going to be talking about how to talk to kids about both invisible and visible disabilities. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means next month. All right. So without further ado, back to the show. Oh, let me see. Oh, so I'm going off of, um, Jamila, you were talking a little bit about like bringing kids to peaceful protests and activism. Um, I'm curious about like how you know, how do we talk to kids about activism, about movements like Black Lives Matter? Um, and like how, besides, you know, the example, I love the example of like taking kids to a peaceful protest. I love, I love pictures of kids at protests. It's so cute. Ooh, um, how do we talk to kids about those things? And how do we, you know, how can we get them involved in activism? I think to, because they, like we said, they're not like these little creatures in this little world. <laughs> You know, like we, I think that they should feel like they are a part of the world. And, and nine times out of 10, they do. They don't like the word cute. They don't like to feel small. This is like the, like the biggest in, in their bodies, their small bodies, they feel larger than life. Um, and that's just from having conversations and, and how like assertive and straight up they are. And I think that we should treat them as such, of course, you know, still be there because they need, they can't do everything on their own. Um, <laughs> But I think, um, where was that going with this? Yeah, um, just uh, including them in, in, in the world and, 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 and having them be a part of community and what community looks like to them, whether they're going and they're giving out clothes to the homeless or do you want to donate shoes, something that, that they can relate that's tangible to them. And then, you know, kind of going up from there. Now, what else can we do? What, how, does, how does it make you feel to do these things or what do you think how does it um you know people who don't have or people who experience from a different color and just i think constantly having the conversation being direct and including them in community um is a great way just taking them i remember my mom taking me to the um millions uh what is it the millions women march march millions am i saying it right 
years ago when I was a kid in, uh, I think we were in DC and I was just like, whoa, look at all these women. And it was just a special moment for me. Um, and I think that, that that's a great step right there. Taking your kids, don't thinking that, don't think they're too small or, or that they won't understand. <laughs> but I, I think that it's also just a great way to develop empathy in kids. Cause I think it's hard, like kids by nature are very self-centered, right? They're, when they're born, they're concerned about their own needs being met and it takes a while till, you know, they're, they can understand like, oh, other people have needs, right? And um, I was just thinking about my friend was telling me that uh, my friend is um, w- wouldn't let their kids be in the Thanksgiving play at their school because they were like, absolutely no way are we perpetuating this story and, you know, had to explain to the teachers why they weren't doing that. And instead it was at the time that the, everything was happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so they got together and they sent stuff to Standing Rock instead. Um mm. You know, and and it's like we can explain to kids like in age appropriate ways, um, you know, hey, this is why that's not okay. This is the real history of this. Like, let's do something for this community. You know, like kids can understand a lot more, even from a young age, a lot more than I think we give them credit for. They can do a lot more, too. Like, I, I think that's one of the ways is that we can actually have them really engage in real activism. So whether it is to go to the protest or to organize their own protest, um, you know, I've had um, through my organization, Mighty Writers, every year we do um, like a, a, it's a small children's march, but we've done it. It's not hard to get a per- permit. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's in Philadelphia anyway, to just march down to city hall and march about whatever the children want to. And that's a way to teach them about activism. They can call people, they can call their representatives, they can write letters, they can, there are so many different things that they can do, um, so that they understand that they can be a part of it and show them like, you know, I keep going back to like the history, the history, but show them, um, you know, the stories, there's this great um, uh, documentary about the Children's March of 1963, right, where those children um, essentially changed the trajectory of the civil rights movement, right, that was sort of like on the wane. It was sort of, it looked like it was going to, um, you know, die. People, you know, a lot of adults didn't want to go out marching because they were getting arrested and they needed their jobs. And, and so, um, you know, King was like, you know, sort of alone almost. And then these children just like basically had nothing to lose um, and, you know, you know, spent days just getting arrested by the, the thousands and bringing um, international attention onto the civil rights movement and, you know, completely, you know, um, injecting it with like energy, re-energizing the, mo- the movement. Um, and just like letting kids know, like you can, like you can have impact like this. There are kids in the world who are doing things like this, and who have done things like this. I love the idea of showing them the history of not only what adults have done, but what kids have done too, mm-hmm. and young people, and even contemporary young people as well. And there's this is more geared towards adults, but adults. But do you guys um, know this book? Look what Brown can do. Never seen that. No. Oh, it's really, really mm-hmm. cute. It's it's about it's it's by um, T. Marie Harris and. It's it so it has real people like you you know you can inspire thought and then it has like people who've inspired that thing or like you know you can um, be a business person and there's like real people who so I like I like that a lot um, it's a really yeah it's a really great book that's like hey you can do whatever you want and here are people who've already done it yeah I also think it's cool when they show us just being normal people like oh what 
you know, this black girl has a dog. Like, she's not just like, you know, she's not just a slave, you know, or like, you know, or I, I just like show us being normal people. And I think that that's great representation, too. Yeah, I think right. there's a difference between sticking a kid with a hijab in the corner and just add it. Like, there's a fine line yeah. between, like, I just did this so I could have one of each. Like, that one's in a wheel. There's the one in the wheelchair and there's the yeah, one with the hijab. <laughs> but what it, what really got me is there's um, there is a book called Bell's Knock Knock Birthday. And it's by a really great publisher, Flamingo Rampant, that does a lot of queer stories. And they there's just someone with a hearing aid. And I'm like, yeah, some people have hearing aids. Like, but I have never seen that before. It's not about the story about how the hearing aid got there. And it's, it's just, just like, hey, some people look like this. Some people look like, like, some people have hearing aids. That's great. Yeah. But it's like, you can tell the difference when it's like mm-hmm. intentional and not like obligatory. I need to have this in here. I want to go back to the activism thing for just one second Um, because I think it's also very important because I was this child and I also babysit um, children like this. I get very anxious in crowds, so I can't do protests. It makes me very physically uncomfortable. And um, it happens to be the children that I babysit the most are also very similar in the same way. So what I was taught from my parents and what I try and teach them myself is Staying silent is also a problem. So if you see an injustice happening or you see smaller scale in school, on the playground, I don't care. You speak up for whoever's being bullied in the moment because that is really important. I know we all try and do things on a grand scale, but that's not necessarily my particular style. My particular style is this is wrong. I see it's wrong. I have to speak up and I have to say something. I don't care if I'm about to get into like a verbal altercation or whatever it is. I'm going to try and be respectful, but I need to say something because this isn't right. And this is a learning moment for everyone else that's also seeing this happen, which is why I really try and teach the kids of like their uh, little girl, um, Zoe, she was speaking to me and she was just like, this situation happened on the playground. And I was like, what's happening? She's like, one of my friends is like really dark skin and she keeps getting picked on by people and they're saying her skin color is disgusting um, and that she shouldn't look that way. And she's often like segregated from the rest of the group. And I was like, oh my God, who's saying these things? I hope you're speaking up. I'm hoping you're like saying something. And she's like, yeah, whenever they do that, I always go. And I'm just like, that's not right. Like she's beautiful and she's my friend and she's awesome. And she'll like hang out with her. And I was like, that's great. That's beautiful. And I was just like, who? And then I was curious. So I asked, I was like, are the kids that are doing this, are they white or are they black? And she's like, no, they're black. There are other black kids saying that she looks too dark. And then I remember trying to get into a conversation. I'm like, oh my God, this is so difficult to get into colorism for you to fully grasp that and fully understand this very niche thing that I realize a lot of people who are adults still don't really get. Um, and so I was trying to break it down of like, yes, for, for many years and forever, darker skinned people, the darker the skin you are, the more people did not like you or think that you're beautiful or accepted you. And the more fair skin you are. And I was like, Zoe, you are like nearly translucent white. (laughs) That's like the more you were accepted. And so this is happening to her because our society at large really taught us this and it's disgusting. 
So you, I was like, this is a really niche thing, but I was like, it's important for you to know so that you can speak up and understand how to fight against it. And yeah. she's, she's also someone that's also creatively minded. And I do a lot of my activism in theater where she also was like, well, I want to write something. And I'm like, you write something, you make your own comic book, you show your friends and you show them that way. And they're able to receive this on a more intimate scale to have a conversation, which I, I encourage and thought it was great. I also think that kids like are able uh, once we explain that and we can be like, do you think that's right? Do you think that's okay that somebody would treat someone differently because of, you know, their skin color or this? And kids will be like, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they like, they can understand those concepts in, in small way, you know, in simplified explanations. It's like, yeah, that that's like, if someone didn't want to be friends with me because, you know, something I can't control, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that it's a really great way to open up conversations about about race and about things by again, like we were saying, like bringing it into their world, right? Um, and also, I really appreciated what you were saying about um, activism taking different forms too. Like we were saying, you know, it's not only going to protest that's not accessible for some people for a number of reasons, um, but also, you know, you can, like Jamila was saying, you can make phone calls, you can, which, uh, you you know, also isn't accessible to everybody, but you can write letters, you can, um, you know, make donations or write, you know, you can, there's so many different things. Um, and I think this idea, and sometimes it can turn into a little bit of an elitism about like, well, you have to be at the protest or you're not right. doing right. anything. And I think that we, it's important to acknowledge and teach kids that, Everybody, again, we're all different and there are so many different ways that we can help out and in a small scale in our own lives, right? Making, standing up for people and making those differences is just as important as, you know, going to a protest and maybe more so sometimes. Um, I appreciate I, Zoe wanting to write a story. That that to me is peaceful protest also. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful way of standing up for what's right as well. So, yeah. Going off of that, I'm curious, like how this is sort of a multi a multifaceted question, but like if you have ever experienced racism while with a child or had a child who experienced sort of similar to what Jalisa was talking about, where maybe a child had a situation where they experienced or witnessed racism and how do we help prepare kids to, again, have that tough conversation that's like people might treat you unfairly because of the way that you look. Like, how do we have that conversation with kids? And yeah. I have to think about that one. Actually, recently, I, I didn't know what... So it was this little white boy and this little Asian boy. And we I was I was taking three kids at a time to... Uh, we were in Prospect Park and we were going to, like, the dog park. The dog beach, whatever it's called. And I said, you know, hey, hold his hand um, because we're getting ready to walk. And he, no, no, I don't want to hold his hand. And I'm like, why not? And um, I mean, it wasn't really, I, he had no problem holding anyone else's hand. So I'm just, in my, my grown up assumption is that it was because he looked different. Um, but I just didn't know. Sometimes I still don't know um, what the best thing is to say. But I, I was like, you know, we're just, we're, we're all friends. We, we're all in the same classroom and we're all here to keep each other safe. So we're going to hold each other's hands. And I kind of just, I, I didn't really address it, but I, I, I so I guess I, I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys have to say. It's, it's so, it's so hard, but normally I, 
I often try and break things down on like an individual scale of um, there was this little girl that I babysat and I overheard her saying, I don't like that. Um, I don't like that girl because her skin is too dark. And I went, is that the only reason why you don't like her? And then she was like, yeah. And then I was like, but you don't know anything about her, do you? And then she's like, no. And then I was like, you like me and, and my skin color is darker. She's like, yeah, but like, I like your, I like your dark. I don't like her dark. And I said, that's, I was like, that's a weird, <laughs> that's a weird, uh, that's a weird thing you're saying to me. I was like, but also you've gotten to know me. So we spend time together and we have conversations. If you haven't even tried to really talk to this little girl and you don't really know a lot about her, how can you not like her? Would you like that if somebody did that to you, if they didn't bother getting to know you and then just judge you based off of one little thing, whatever it may be? And then she's like, no. And then I was like, well, I suggest you go and you speak to this little girl and you try and make friends or you just try and get to know her. You don't have to be best friends. I don't really care. What I do care about is that you're taking the time to speak to another human being and not deciding you don't like someone based off of one small thing. You're getting in the way of knowing someone else or learning something new or introducing yourself into, into a whole new world just because of one small thing. And she kind of like thought about it and she understood-ish, you know? But I was just like, just get to know a person. That's my biggest thing. I don't care what they look like. Get to know them and see what can happen. It's that matter of like, once we break down the thought process, they're like, oh, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. But they don't, sometimes you have to do that with adults too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, parents. like Speaking my, parents. my, my, um, my grandma it, is you know 90 year old white woman and uh is racist in the way that most 90 year old white women are in the like oh i'm you know that like half the time you'll be like okay grandma but like sometimes you you have to call it out you got to pick your battles with your italian grandma and uh one time she she has a house in florida and she was like (coughs) there's these sisters that moved in and they're black but one is lighter than the other one. And I was like, Grandma, is that relevant to the story? <laughs> and she was like, well, yes. And I'm like, why? She's like, because one is lighter than the other one. I'm like, Grandma, that has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> like, let alone even telling me that they're black. You could just feel like these sisters moves in next door. And she was like, I guess you're right. Like, you, you know, but it's like, even with adults, sometimes you have to kind of question and right. I think that working with kids helps me to be able to work with adults. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, did anyone else have anything to say on that? Um, just, well, one thing I was thinking about um, was when you have children of color who um, are, for whatever reason, so if you're in an institution, an organization, a school, whatever, um, and they're interacting with, um, adults who are racist towards them and they're coming to you with that because uh, I've had that experience a lot um, and, and maybe I'm not in a, in a place to or a position to really do anything um, you know I don't have the power to do anything to that adult and I could actually get myself into trouble um, but at the same time and, and maybe the racism isn't so explicit um, 
so it's, you know, it's like one of those things, a lot of times racism isn't really overt, but there's a lot of things that people do and the kids sense it. And they're like, you know, this was racist, or I feel like this, this teacher doesn't like black kids or, and, um, I think for me, it's always been, for me, I've always tried to hold space for them just to kind of like, you know, listen to what they're saying. Um, you know, not sort of, because I think a lot of times as, a, as educators, people want to just, you know, if it's a colleague or something, they want to just um, say, you know, oh, no, 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 you know, this teacher's not racist. She didn't mean that when she said that to you or the way that she talks to you, you know. Um, and for me, I'm still evolving in finding ways to address that with the adult. I'm doing it more now um but I, I don't think it's good enough and i'm and, and i'm a little bit and i i think back to the like um some time you know times in the past when i was teaching and white teachers did things that i thought were very racist and i just didn't say anything to the teacher but i sort of addressed it with the students and sort of made them feel like i see exactly what you're seeing and it's not acceptable and, you know, this is a place where you can, you know, come and, and, you know, you can find solace, but, you know, maybe not, but at the same time, not addressing that teacher or um, sometimes even for me, because I work with a lot of volunteers and a lot of my volunteers are, um, you know, white liberals, they're do-gooders. So they're not, that's not the intent of their actions. Right. Um, and, and we need our volunteers. We don't want to like, you know, you know, push them away, but this, you know, and some people, some white people have some trouble really hearing that, you know, your actions were racist. Uh, the impact of your actions were racist, whether or not your intent was not, was something else. Some, some things that you're doing with the kids, the way you're interacting with the kids, um, you know, are really making the, the kids feel um, different in some way, or like you don't like them in some way, they're microaggressions. So, um, I don't know, your question made me think more so about not just how kids interact with each other, but also even with adults, you know, witnessing adults doing things that har are harmful to children and like how we, you know, how we can push back, but also like, you know, when you're not a person from a position of privilege, right, trying to push back for, for you know, to help our kids, like, how do you, it, it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a challenge for me. I guess that's all I'm saying. That's where I'm going with it is that, you know, this is like a continual question for me and a continual issue for me. I was going to say that um, I agree with that. I know that, like, a lot of teachers, we have, like, PD, professional development, we and I and I noticed that there's nothing on there's everything on ch um, child development and um, you know how to to handle behavior, but there's nothing on how to deal with um, you know teacher development and cultural awareness, and I think that that would be really important to have um, in in a in a in a PD space, just like H and M with the with the monkey hoodie. There, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that moment, yeah. but we. <laughs> I think that as a part of PD, that everyone needs that, that sort of cultural awareness. I don't know who that person would be, but someone to come in and say, this is how we deal with difficult topic. And this is how we should, you know, address things because it is tricky. Yeah. I think that also like as, uh, as a white person and recognizing my privilege, I always offer to like, hey, if you're uncomfortable having that conversation would you be more comfortable with me talking to that teacher for you? Because sometimes, unfortunately, 
um, majority groups only hear things if they come from other members of the majority group. And so I think that's also a place where white folks and folks coming from a place of privilege can say like, Hey, how can I help negotiate those conversations for you? You know, or like, can I mediate a conversation? You know what I mean? But like offering, um, to help in those ways, because sometimes it can be, depending on the situation, it can feel really uncomfortable or unsafe um, mm-hmm. to have those kind of, or like I, re- I remember also being in a position where I was a student teacher and I didn't feel like I had the right to talk to a real quote unquote real teacher mm-hmm. about like, Hey, you're being really problematic right now. You know, then they're going to give me a bad review or something like when you're in a position where there's a power dynamic that also like you might be someone who's coming into a school working or, you know, that also can be tricky mm-hmm. when you see things and you want to say something, but like your, you know, so yeah, I think that, that was one thing I thought of. And the other thing I thought of is I think that people get really defensive when the word racism comes out mm-hmm. because I, I think that there is a 100% difference between doing something that is racist and being a racist. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have done things that are racist. I have, I'm trans and I have said things that are transphobic. Like we all, you know, say and do things, whether we intend them or not, that are problematic. And you know, when people, when someone of a group calls you out and says, hey, what you're doing right now is X, Y, or Z, listen to the people from that group. Like, I remember a time where I used the word lame and my friend who is disabled said, hey, Seth, that's ableist. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Never thought about that. Thank thank you for telling me that because I wouldn't have realized. And like, I always encourage um you know, people to just like gracefully thank and accept. Do please, please do not argue with people when they are they are <laughs> taking the time to edu taking their emotional energy to educate you and try and help you. Um, because that it's a it's a lot of work and it takes. You know, it's also it can be hard to like go to someone and be like, "Hey, you're doing something that's racist or problematic," or and it can be scary. You don't know how that how they're going to react. So my uh, final question is, it's kind of a big one, but um, if you could like tell, if you could impart one thing about this ginormous topic to parents, what would that thing be? I would say be open, uh, be vulnerable, and, um, and, and continue to expose your children to, to people, places, and things that are, that don't, that are different from themselves and different from you. And I think that that the more we continue to do that, the less fear and hatred. Yeah, I I would say the same thing of like, I know it's a scary topic, but talk about it. Talk about it with your kids, how society, especially being children of color, how society may view you versus staying true to who you really are and, and knowing your worth and knowing your value um, and yes, please take kids to museums, make them read books, show them different TV shows and movies and plays that have to deal with race in this beautiful, intricate way so that they are just exposed to this, um, and exposing people to different cultures, take them to different cultures, parades, if they're comfortable being around crowds or different festivals and just introducing them to these whole new worlds they may not necessarily really grasp or understand everything when they're younger but believe me the older they get the more they're going to be appreciative that they have seen this once before there is nothing to fear (laughs) this is okay there was a quote in an article i read that was about how to talk to your kids about race that 
they said the worst conversation you can have about race is no conversation at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely um, all that we've said about having a conversation, right? Talking is important. Um, I think it's important to push children to be learners and to model that behavior. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's really about constantly being open to learning, um, learning the history, having that information, um, you know, trying to get that information and showing the kids that you're constantly getting it, um, that you're trying to gain it because that the more you get that information, the more, um, you, you can understand it, the more you can talk about race in in a, in a, in a way that, um, you know, in an educated way, in a way that's effective, I think. I think sometimes people have a lack of knowledge and that leads to a lot of problems. Um, so just really modeling for kids that we are learners. Um, it's important, you know, not just having a conversation about race in a vacuum, but, you know, what is the context, you know, and understanding um, the context for the racial dynamics that are happening um, within the American context. I love that idea. And also the idea that grownups don't have all the answers. We no. cannot mm-hmm. know things. That's, I think, one of the strongest things you can say to a kid is, I don't know. Let's look right. it up. Let's talk to someone from that community. Let's do this. Let's do that. But it's like, yes. I, I think that there's this idea, like when I was growing up, I feel like I felt like adults had to be perfect in front of me were perfect in front of me and had to like have no flaws. And, and then all of a sudden now I feel like we have this generation of kids who are like, Oh my God, my parents are people with problems. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, because our parents, I feel like there was this, at least in my experience and the experience, of a lot of, a lot of people my age, I feel like there was this sort of wall between us where they weren't allowed to be humans or they had to know everything. And, um, and I think it's really important to be vulnerable with kids and, and real. Yes. Um, so, uh, before we go, I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity. If you have any, it doesn't have to necessarily be related to anything we were talking about or even childcare, but if you have any projects you're working on or things that you want to plug, you're welcome to do that. Okay. I'll go. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, if, uh, right now, um, once upon an Eid is out, it's an anthology of, um, stories, for middle grades children. Um, so it's available for um, pre-order right now. Um, and so Once Upon an Eid, stories about uh, Muslim holidays told from the perspective of American Muslims from many different diverse uh, backgrounds. So a really good um, short story. All And um, there's also Mommy's Kimar, um, which is my um, debut children's book. But um, it, I think it gives a perspective of uh, African-American Muslims that is rarely seen. So um, that's also available wherever books are sold. It's great. That's how I found you. I was like, I love this book. I need to talk to this person. <laughs> uh, well, I know uh, my theater company, org is our website. Um, E-M-I-T. That's how you spell them it. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, coming up in the fall, we'll be putting up Twelfth Night. So if anyone in the tri-state area, and by that I mean New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut, uh, would like to book us for shows, you can always come to our website to try and book us. So we're doing an immersive Twelfth uh, Night. <laughs> Jamila, did you have anything you're working on that you... Yes, I'm filmmaker, so I'm constantly working on uh, shorts, work, um, developing a featured script right now. Amazing. Um, it's called Soulmate. It's a coming-of-age girlhood story. I love coming-of-age stories. I'm always curious about how we 
step into adulthood before we get there. And um, I'm also in the process of developing a screenwriting curriculum um, oh, cool. as, a, as an English alternative. But I got some great feedback from someone who said, this looks like a teacher wrote it. Please write a so I was like, okay, I'm going to go with it and redo that. But um, I, I just, it's really, for me, if I'm going to pour into this work, I want to do it in a way where it's creative yeah. and where it's in- inclusive and everyone gets to change the narrative. I think that that is so important. Um, so that's where I'm at right now, creating and, and also opening up possibilities for children and the youth to create. All right, so now it's time for our segment, Way to Go and Room to Grow, where I talk about some children's books that I think are really awesome and relate to the topics that we're talking about. So today we're talking a little bit about race, and I actually have a couple of recommendations, one of which I mentioned in the podcast itself. Uh, It's called The Colors of Us by Karen Katz, and I love this book. It's about a little girl who's going to paint all of her friends and her mother uh, sort of encourages her to look around at, at everyone and see how we're all different colors. And, you know, then she paints every, you know, she goes around the neighborhood and she sees her friends and the local grocer and, you know, her teacher or whoever, just people, people around. And, um, and then she goes home and, and paints them and thinks about how, you know, oh, maybe like such and such is the color of peanut butter or they're the color of chocolate or they're the color of cinnamon um, and it's just a really lovely book, uh, and that's The Colors of Us by Karen Katz. Um, one thing that I think it does really well is uh, just, you know, really just allowing kids to notice the differences. I think that a lot of times we shame them. You know, if a kid says something like, why is that person brown? We're like, because we're so nervous and we don't know how to have those conversations. And so I love that this book is encouraging the child to, hey, notice all of the differences and that we're all different colors. Yeah, I think if I had to choose a room to grow, it wouldn't even be particularly about this book. It would be in general, I would like to see more books like this out there on the market um, that really are just helping kids to encouraging them to ask questions and notice differences. So uh, there were actually two other books that I wanted to mention, one of which is called Mixed by Ari Chung, um, and I really enjoy this book. It, it has, ironically, reviews. I have received some mixed reviews from folks, uh, and so I want to acknowledge that I'm coming, uh, I'm reviewing this book as a white person, um, and yeah, other folks might have different opinions, so always look at your books critically. So basically the book starts out with three groups. It's the primary colors. So there's reds, there's yellows, and there's blues. And all of the colors sort of live in segregated areas and they start to think, you know, oh, the blues are the best. No, the reds are the best. No, the yellows are the best. Um, And then eventually, I forget which two colors it is. I want to say it's a yellow and a red, but two different colors, you know, fall in love and, and they decide that they want to have a family. And so then let's say it's a, relo- a yellow and a red. The baby, you know, is orange. And, and it's about how they all, you know, this sort of becomes more normalized and people start 
you know, mixing and blending colors, and, and they realize that the world is a lot more colorful when everyone, you know, is, is together and is not separate. Um, and so I, I just, I think it's a really cute book. I like the idea that the world is a lot more colorful and fun when we're all in it together. Um, the sort of, I will, so that's my way to go, the room to grow, I would say it has, as I mentioned, received a little bit of criticism for this idea that, well, f well, first of all, I think, I think there were some issues with the color themselves, like the reds are kind of the, the red ones are like the loud ones and the yellow ones I believe are kind of the smart ones and so people were wondering or feeling like those might were a little racially coded um and then the other thing was that I guess suppose if you take the book literally which children you know might do um there's this idea that by procreating or by like mixing or having mixed race kids that's going to solve racism <laughs> which I don't think is the case but personally I had a more metaphorical interpretation of that book which is just that when we're not separate when we're all together the world is a more beautiful place but I can definitely see how um you know kids you might have to break that down for a kid they might not get the metaphor so but I really love that book um am I Last recommendation is Mama, Did You Hear the News by Sonia Whitaker Gregg. And that's the one, another one that I mentioned in the podcast. Now this one I have not read, but I love the idea of it. Basically, it's a book um, that is about a little black boy who sees police brutality on the news and is asking his mom about it. And it's a book to help grown-ups have that conversation with kids about police brutality. And I really love the idea of, I think this is a really tough conversation to have. Um, and I love the idea that this book is there to help guide that conversation. And so I can't necessarily give away to go or room to grow for that. But I just wanted to mention that one because it seemed like such a great resource. Uh, and if anyone has any comments or thoughts about that book or other books, please uh, reach out to me on social media. You can find me um, at Rowchild Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or what's the other one? Instagram. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, and thank you so much again for uh, just being a part of this little community and tuning in. And as always, stay rad. Thank you, our two words, said too often. So instead of saying them, I thought I'd put them in a song. First of all, Denise, who makes all of our awesome art. Thanks for sharing your talent. That's really cool on your part. And thank you to the Upper Network for having faith in me. To Tom, Toby, and Teffer. Y'all are rad as can be You might think the song's repetitive And that may well be true But I couldn't think of a better way To say my thank yous So without further ado To our donors 
Jamila and Morgan and Carol Simona and to Emily to Leah and Amy, Izzy and Candice and to Joelle to Vicky, Joanna, Jennifer, Max, Libby and Michelle to Tracy, Nathaniel, Sam and Maggie, Christian and Timo to Hannah and Andrew, Mel and Drew and to Caroline to Dominique, Lee and Rita and Lynn, Isabel and to Michelle to Travis and Lindsay, Jamie and Lori, and to Erica, to Laura and Lauren, Jennifer, Sarah, and to Adrienne, to Teresa, and to Nash, y'all are the very best. And lastly, to my wife, my daily inspiration. You may find that cheesy, Anyway, the song is done. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Topics of High Importance, a podcast where we get high and explore food, science, gaming, pop culture, and beyond. Filled with super tangents, forgetful flubs, and that awkward kind of tension that can only be produced by a married couple. Topics of High Importance on the Upford Network. Join us, won't you? (laughs) Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're the host of The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. It's a podcast where we're going to talk about, well, sports. Specifically, what we do look at is what makes an athlete be the best that they can be. So not only do we talk to some athletes, but we talk to the people behind the athletes, from trainers to sports psychologists, you name it, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about other issues revolving sports as well, hot button issues like concussions, maybe doping. Give us a listen. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.